All right, well, welcome here again to City Bible Church. Uh, it's a little bit unconventional. I'm actually preaching from my living room right now, and uh, thank you for your patience and some of the technical difficulties we had earlier on. Um, but I sort of see it as we're like the church in the book of Acts, right? Church is not a building. It's the gathering of people. And um, we want to turn now to God's Word. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to be sharing... Uh, about a new series that we're entering into. It's called The Church as Diaspora. And we're going to be looking at different passages throughout the scriptures that talk about how the church is to function as they're dispersed and scattered. Um, there's a lot of uh, good preaching out there right now and good encouragement out there that talks about the importance of being uh, replacing your panic with prayer, replacing your... Uh, your worry with worship. And I think that's very important that all of us do that on a personal level. And we're going to be talking about some of those themes in the week to come. But in addition to that, we're also going to be taking maybe a step back and taking a look at how the church is to function when she's scattered throughout the world. And so I'm going to pray for us, and then uh, we'll go ahead and get started. Thank you, Father, for this time that we... Uh, are to be joyful. We are to be a peaceful people. We are to be a people that, amidst whatever is happening in our world, in our personal lives, are to look to you. We are to seek the kingdom first and your righteousness and knowing that you will take care of all of our needs and meet us in all of our anxiety. Lord, we pray for our nation. We pray for our leaders. We pray for our families. Um, we pray for our economy, for the health of people in the hospital, as, those, as well as those who care for them. We pray that we would have wisdom during these times of chaos, and we would look to you, and you would do a mighty work through your church during this time. So help us, Lord, as a church, to be built up, to be spurred on towards love and good deeds, as we encourage one another all the more as we see your day approaching. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. We are all living in a time of social dispersion and disruption. The COVID virus has disrupted every area of our lives, from our work, our school, our church, our government, our economy, our health. And it's dispersed us from one another and from uh, really separated us from society. This social disruption and dispersion has introduced an entirely new way of us to describe life itself. We now use phrases like the new normal, social distancing, self-isolation, flattening the curve, economic full stop, are not factor infection rate. We use phrases like cascading effects on the healthcare system and this being a defining moment of social responsibility for the millennial generation. These are phrases that none of us used a few weeks ago. This social disruption and dispersion has us seeking guidance from our government, care from those who can heal us, and seeking discernment amidst all of the prophecies coming our way from our cultural prophets of doom who warn us of worst-case scenarios of 20% unemployment here in the United States, that millions of people could die of this virus in our country and throughout the world. And that here in California, if we were to do nothing, 
we can expect one out of every two people to be infected with COVID-19 virus in the next two months. And we're seeking discernment through all of that. Amidst these disruptions that have changed all of our lives, amidst this dispersion that has separated all of us, stands the church. That's you and me. And as you listen to the conversations that the Church of Jesus Christ is having right now, it sounds both familiar and unfamiliar to an unbelieving world. Some of the conversations that we are having today as followers of Jesus Christ are the same conversations that people are having on Main Street, Wall Street, Pennsylvania Avenue, and Sunset Boulevard. When you listen to conversations of believers in the church, they are concerned about the health of, uh, of their health. They're concerned about the health of the elderly, concerned about the health of their parents and grandparents. When you listen to the conversations of Christians, you hear voices saying that they are disturbed by examples of self-centeredness and greed that we all see in our culture from time to time. When you listen to the conversations in the church, many people are wondering about unemployment. They're both dreading and looking forward to time at home with their loved ones. The conversations that are happening inside the church have people stressed about what is happening in the stock market and the economy. And many people are rescheduling major life events because of the COVID-19 event. Uh, I was supposed to do a wedding yesterday and I ended up marrying a couple with four of us in attendance. Instead of having a large wedding, they had to reschedule that for another time. And I was supposed to uh, speak some words of encouragement to a funeral that probably would have had about a thousand people in it next week. But that had to be rescheduled as well. And so people within the church are making major life adjustments, just like society. And these are very familiar conversations the church is having. But at the same time, the church is also having unfamiliar conversations. I think more importantly than the familiar conversations are the unfamiliar conversations the church is having amidst an unbelieving world. Because in the church, I also hear voices of hope. Hope in God. Hope that God will use this COVID-19 event to refine the church, to reach unbelievers, and to redeem this whole situation for the good for those who love him. Society is experiencing a social disruption and dispersion. And as it does, we, the church, are experiencing also a spiritual disruption and dispersion. I believe that through this event, the very best days of the church lie ahead for us. I believe that we will, as a church, conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that God will use this event to reach others with the gospel in a way that we have not seen yet in the 21st century. Um, just this week, I have heard from several people who have reached out to me, people who are not going to church, and wondering what this all means and seeking guidance and wanting to come back to church. And I think God will use this event for his glory in uh, unexpected and amazing ways. Our God is good. Amen? 
The biblical term for what the church is experiencing right now is diaspora. Diaspora defined is the mass separation of a scattered people from their original locale. It's the spreading of a people from their original geographic location and their home where they're comfortable and now they are scattered in the world as the church. You see this throughout scripture in the Old Testament, in the intertestamental period, and in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, God's people were scattered from the Promised Land. First in the 8th century BC by the Assyrians, second in the 6th century BC by the Babylonians. And God's people were scattered, and through that, God judged them. And he wanted them to know two things in the Old Testament. One, that he was calling them to repentance. Two, that he was calling them to be faithful and to trust in him, that he would not abandon them in the end. And he wanted them to take encouragement from that as he commanded them to place their hope in him. When you look at the intertestamental period, this is the time between the Old and the New Testament, God's people experienced diaspora as well. The Greek army, the Greek empire came in led by Alexander the Great and enslaved God's people. And they were followed by the Roman Empire who functioned as an occupying army amidst God's people. And in the time of Jesus and in the New Testament, we start to see the beginnings of diaspora in the ministry of Jesus Christ and with the birth of the church. Jesus said in John 16, in the upper room to his disciples, he said that his followers, those whom he chose, those whom he loved, would soon be scattered. They would soon be troubled as he goes to the cross, but that they should take peace, for he has overcome the world, and for them not to be troubled. And I think those are good words for us here today. When you go forward in the birth of the church in the book of Acts, from Acts chapter 8 onwards, starting with the martyrdom of the Apostle Stephen. The church experiences diaspora as they move their ministry from Jerusalem to the outer regions of Judea and Samaria and finally to the ends of the earth. In the New Testament, the Apostles Luke and James and Peter talk about diaspora, the spreading of God's people, the scattering of God's people. And they say that there are good things, there are positive things that happen through diaspora, and then there are things that uh, are going to be challenges, that are going to be tests for the church in diaspora. The things that God does through diaspora that the church can look forward to is that it increases the witness of the church to an unbelieving world. It sanctifies the church through Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Lord's work continues It'll look different because we've been doing the Lord's work, at least here in America, a lot of us, uh, through a season of plenty. And the Lord's work will continue in diaspora, but it will probably look different. Instead of the Lord's work continuing in a time of plenty, it will continue in a time of suffering and need and isolation. Some of you in our church I've already heard of and seen just some tremendously encouraging encouraging acts of ministry in this season of suffering, need, and isolation. Um, I know that Earl from our church, he's been gathering people for prayer, just taking his own initiative to do that on Zoom. I hear stories of people like Jocelyn and Sheldon taking food uh, from Costco 
to the Kamadas who have recently had their baby August because they can't get out much now. Uh, I've heard stories of, of others of you reaching out to people who are away from church, inviting them into our church community. And so the Lord's work is going to continue. It may look different during the season, but uh, through our church, City Bible Church, I want you to know I'm very proud. You're to be commended of, of how you are conducting yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so there are very good things that will come out of diaspora, but there are also some things that we need to be aware of, things that we need to be warned about, that Luke and James and Peter also warned the church about. That the time ahead may be a time of difficult testing for the church. It may be a time where we experience suffering in our lives, in the life of our family, in the life of those uh, that we know, in the wider body of Christ, in the life of those that are our neighbors, people that uh, have come, we've come across in our lives. And we may see some suffering in the days ahead, specifically of people that we know. And also, the apostles warn us that when the church is dispersed, you will also see the rise and re-rise of false teachers to lead the church astray, especially now online where they have a captive audience for the church and the world. And so we are to be aware of both the positive and the negative effects of diaspora on the church. And so in our series now, Journeying Together, as we do through this series, the church as diaspora, we will be looking at these issues of what arises when the church is scattered. What, what happens when the church moves forward into the world and we are separated from one another uh, personally and now we just digitally connect to one another? How can the church remain strong? What biblical themes arise in diaspora and for us to both take advantage of as a church, to move forward as a church, to extend and advance the kingdom of God as a church, as well as to be warned about what issues arise in that. And for today, I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to James chapter 1, verse 1 through 18. We're going to look at four areas, four areas of reflection that James offers to the church in diaspora in the opening chapter of James that we need to be aware of as we begin this series. James chapter 1, verse 1 through 18, the first part of chapter 1. Go ahead and read that together. The Apostle James says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let your steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. Verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting. For one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind, for that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. Verse 9. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower 
falls and its beauty perishes, so also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, God brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. The Apostle James speaks to the dispersed, primarily Jewish Christians. And in this opening chapter, he points out four main areas that arise during diaspora that I think we need to all be aware of as a church. Number one, the issue of steadfastness or perseverance, verses 2 through 7 and verses 12. The Apostle James talks about the importance of Christians being steadfast in their faith as they are dispersed. And in these verses, he talks about three things that happen to encourage us to commit to being steadfast and to pers persevere in our faith. Number one, he says, if you persevere in your faith, you will become mature and perfected. The Lord will mature and perfect your faith in the way of Jesus Christ. Number two, if you ask of God, he will give you wisdom into what is happening and his perspective about what is happening during this event. And number three, if you remain steadfast to the end, that you will receive the crown of life, eternal salvation in heaven from the Lord. And I think these are three important, encouraging words that the Apostle James gives to us during this time. Will you all commit that no, what, no matter what happens in the days ahead, whether it's good or bad, short or long, that you will be steadfast in your commitment to the Lord. You will persevere in your faith. You may have moments where you rise up and the Lord does incredible works through your life. And you also may have moments where um, you're, you act or speak in ways that are less of what you know Jesus Christ um, wants you to be. But through that, will you commit and say, no matter what happens, I will persevere through this. And I will remain steadfast in my faith. I think that's a tremendous encouragement that COVID-19 is not in control here. God is in control. And I believe that what James and God is saying through the Apostle James, through the Word of God right now to all of us, is to be reminded that God is going to work a sanctifying work in all of us. The suffering, the trial, the testing is not going to go for naught. God is going to use this, and He's going to grow us in our faith, grow us in our Christ-likeness. And I find that tremendously encouraging. And even if we doubt that, I want you to take a moment right now, as he, James says, and ask the Lord for wisdom. And say, Lord, I, I, I'm doubting, but I want to lay that and give that to you. I, 
I want to ask you for your wisdom, and I want to commit that as you give this wisdom to me, that you will, you will give it to me and I will not doubt going forward. And sometimes what the Lord will do is he will give you wisdom into the current situation. He will give you wisdom to share with you how he himself is going to sanctify you through this situation. And you'll become wiser because you will see that. He will give, give you wisdom because you will begin to see how your demonstration of steadfastness in your faith is going to be an encouragement to others in their faith. And he will give you the wisdom to see that. Or maybe the Lord will just give you wisdom, like he did to Job and the prophet Habakkuk, where they went through tremendous suffering, and uh, they came to God, and God came back to them, both of them, and basically said, I made the world, I'm in control, I see what is happening, I have a redemptive plan through all of this, and trust me. And when Job and Habakkuk heard that, they both repented, and they said that, Lord, even though I, I don't see the olive tree with olives, or, or there, there's all these crops or herds in the field, I will trust you, Habakkuk. Or Job said, my, my, eye, my ears had heard of you, but my eyes have now seen you. And he repented in sackcloth and ashes, and the Lord took care of, of both of them. And the Lord's going to give us wisdom into that. And he's going to give us the crown of life as the church is steadfast during this time. I've met too many Christians who start well in their faith. And they do well in their faith when things are going well. But then when trial, when testing happen in their life, they become discouraged and many of them just leave their faith. And I think what these Christians, what these uh, people miss, who are professing Christians, is they miss that the Christian faith is not primarily about all the great things that you do for God when things are going well. It's not even primarily about your terrible moments of spiritual failure that happen in all of our lives. That the Christian faith is more about who endures to the very end. Who will stick with God to the very end amidst the great moments where God used you and our terrible spiritual failures? I would rather have someone who is committed to the Lord to the very end. And I think as we commit to that, the Lord will perfect us, He will give us wisdom, and we will look forward to the crown of life. This is not our home. James goes on to say that our life is like a vapor. It's here today, it's gone tomorrow, and none of us have, have any clue of what that will be. The Apostle Paul said in the book of Ephesians that our citizenship is in another realm. It's in heaven. He said that to the Philippian church as well. And so, number one in dispersion, we as a church need to come to the Lord, and we say, Lord, help us to be steadfast. Give us wisdom. Help us to focus on what you're going to do through us in Christian maturity, and help us to focus on the crown of life that you will give to all of us who endure. Number two, James points us to another spiritual dynamic that will happen in Diaspora. In verse 9 through 11, he talks about how the lower brother will boast and be lifted up. Verse 10 
but that the higher brother, those who are rich, will come down in humiliation. A second dynamic that's going to happen in dispersion is those of you that are in a place of little means. The Lord will give you grace to focus that you will be lifted up through your salvation. And the second thing that will happen is that those of us who have placed too much of our trust in times of plenty, in money, in comfort, uh, the Lord will bring, as he removes some of those things from our lives, will bring us down to a lower place. And so we will be equal at the foot of the cross. I have heard um, in our own church, some of you who are of little means, little financial means, through the past few weeks have been giving sacrificially to the church and to others, have been reaching out to others to invite them to church, what James would call the lowly brother. In my 20 years of pastoral ministry, I think I've been more encouraged in my faith by followers who have little means, worldly means, but who are faithful followers, faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. I think I've been far more encouraged by that example in my life than by rich believers who have lived in comfort. And I think what you need to say to yourself if you are a lowly brother during this time and you are of little means is you need to pray to the Lord and say, God will supply my needs. You need to pray, I am rich in Christ's presence in my life. You need to pray, my hope is in heaven. And I think the Lord will give you a kingdom perspective during this time. And I think also, by the way, the church has a responsibility. We see this throughout the book of Acts to help believers who are in need. And so I would encourage you, those of us who now who find ourselves in a place of means to help especially the body of Christ, those who have less, as well as the world. For those of you that find yourself in a high position, I want to uh, encourage you that the Lord's going to do a sanctifying work in your life as well. And I want to warn you to not place your faith in worldly uh, provisions. The Lord's been reminding me of that the last few weeks, even in my own personal life. He's been reminding me that um, there's been areas of my life that I've been tempted to place my faith in, in terms of how much money I have or don't have. He's been reminding me of uh, the rich position I have been in for some time. And the way I define rich, by the way, you may be there and you're saying, well, rich is, I, I don't have a million dollars, I'm not rich. The way I functionally define rich is if you have choices in life. If you have choices on where to go to eat, where to live, where to go on vacation, I would define you as rich, which is probably most of us listening to this recording. And Laura's been reminding me of how rich I have been and really overindulgent I've been, you know, with food, as a foodie, right? And now none of us look at it that way anymore. We're rationing food, we're, we're trying to uh, not overindulge, uh, give some food to other people, not hoard. And so this is good. This is a good sanctifying work that the Lord has been doing in my life to reveal to me my susceptibility to idols, the idols of the world. And how is the Lord going to reveal that to you who are rich? How will he remove some of those things or point out some of those things to us 
so that we can see what foolishness that is and we can turn from it and focus our uh, attention on the Lord. Number three, James points our attention to being steadfast in the faith, to being reminded that the low will be brought high and the high will be brought low. Thirdly, that we will be tempted to evil. In verse 13 through 15, the Apostle James talks about that we will be tempted during these times. But we will not be tempted by God. The world and Satan working through the world will tempt us, and we are not to blame God for that. Even though we're tired, we're stressed, we're, we're worried, maybe, uh, we're not to blame God for that. What James says, what that is really coming from is for our personal responsibility, from what the Bible calls our flesh. And we're going to be tempted in those ways. Desire is going to give birth to sin, he says in verse 15, and sin, when it is fully grown, will bring death. And you're going to see that in your own life, because we're human, and you're going to see that in society. You're going to see as the pressure gets turned up, potentially, in our society. As people, even the best of us, have moments of weakness, you're going to see sin happen as we're living in close proximity to our families, uh, really confined, a lot of us, to our homes. As we are separated from the strengthening of face-to-face -face community with the body of Christ, even though electronic community is good, it's not the same. And you're going to see that in an unbelieving world and just the evil of the world systems, as well as just people in general. You're going to see that, and to be prepared for that. My wife was at the market the other day, and she was waiting in line. She got there early, and there was these two gentlemen that had an altercation with one another. One was uh, moving a cart, and the other was trying to move out of their way, and they were started arguing, and it got really tense right in front of her, and then one of the men was kind of chased away, and then the other man, who was right near my wife, he took out um, a vaping e-cigarette. And he just took a puff and exhaled it, and all the smoke went all over everyone in the line, right? And it kind of defeats the purpose of social distancing. But you're going to see that happen in our society. You're going to see examples of sin and evil and greed and foolishness. There was a very well-known video gaming store, chain of stores really, throughout the country, that chose to remain open this week. Even when the declaration was, uh, came down for California that said that only, non, uh, only essential businesses should stay open, this video gaming store, this chain of stores, chose to remain open, chose to call their employees to stay open because they felt that Video games was an essential service to society. And of course, when you think about it, game, the games Doom, Eternal, and Animal Crossing, New Horizons, who can live without those things, right? We need those things, of course. And, but you're going to see greed and foolishness out there in society. And as we spoke about last week, I, I want to warn you again as the church, is that this is a dream for those who propagate evil on the internet in all its forms. To now have a captive audience at home, in front of their phones, in front of their computers, you can just imagine those who peddle evil on the internet, how they're going to want to take advantage of that. 
And during this time, it's very important for the church when God reveals that evil to you in society to pray for people and say, Lord, would you reveal yourself? Would you show the wickedness of the human heart to people involved? And would you move them to turn towards you? And I believe the Lord will do that. It's very important when you see evil or your temptation, you give into that in your own life, that you turn to the Lord and say, Lord, thank you for revealing that to me. You know, um, Help me to turn from that. I ask for your forgiveness and cleanse me from that, Lord. That's not who I want to be. That's not who you've called me to be in Christ Jesus. And so let me leave that behind. And finally, for today, the Apostle James warns the Jewish Christians in Diaspora. He actually doesn't warn them. He encourages them in verse 16 through 18. Let me go ahead and reread this part as we close. He says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. And this is an encouraging word from the Apostle James. He reminds us that God is good. He is the Father of lights. That's a Jewish phrase that was used to describe God as a metaphor. They, the Jews would look at the sky and they would see the sun that was bright. But then as nightfall came, the night would change. The stars, the moon would come out and then the sun would come out the next day. And when James calls God the Father of lights, what it would have meant to the Jewish Christians and what it should mean to us is that God does not change. God is not surprised by this event. God's promises to us in his word, they, they are still valid today. God is good. And I, I think that James chose to call God a father. That was very intentional. Because what John, James was saying was that during a time of distress, during a time of testing and trial, we need God... We need to know God as our Father, that things are going to be okay, that He has things that He is working through the situation for the good for, and that He will watch over and deliver His people, either here in this world or in the world to come. And we are His people. We are His children, James says. We are brought forth by the word of truth, and we are the first fruits of His creatures. That means we're his children. And so, as we begin this journey of the church as diaspora, I want to encourage you, let's stay steadfast, let's conduct our lives in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's be ready for the Lord's sanctifying work. Those of us who are low, let's look to Christ. Those of us who are high and we are brought low, let's thank the Lord for that, for releasing us from some of the worldly things that we trust in to make us high. Let's be aware of the evil that will happen through human nature, even though, uh, even in ourselves, and let's give that to the Lord. And let's remember that we have a good Heavenly Father, Father of lights, who is not changing, and we are His children, and we're going to be okay. All right.
Let's pray together. Father, thank you for being our Father, that as we are now a dispersed people, we want to live lives that are a light in the darkness. We want to be the salt of the earth. We want to be in the world, but not of the world. We want to be a priestly nation to each other, but also prophetically declare the praises of him who has called us out of the darkness and into the light, in the words of Peter. And so, Lord, would you just bless churches across this land. May they be strengthened through this time. May you raise up the church to be stronger than when she went into this COVID-19 event. Would you heal those and, and, and watch over those and protect those um, who need it in our hospitals? And Lord, would you do a mighty work to bring all of us to yourself, the church included? In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. We're going to now take you outside. We're going to receive communion. And we're going to close in uh, song of worship.